In today's episode, I speak with a couple of amazing young women who saw a societal problem that led them to become innovators. These women open up on what it means to be a changemaker, why it's necessary to break stereotypes, and why they're giving more and more young folks equal opportunity at life, creating possibility right at their fingertips. Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to changemakers who want to lead, inspire, or transform the world for the better. My name is Ravi Tour. I'm a straight shooter with a no BS approach. This podcast is meant to be thought-provoking, to get your attention, and mostly, I want to encourage change and movement from folks just like you and me. I'll cover things like world issues, mindset, and theory. So stick around, tune in, and let your mind be the map to your revolution. Welcome to episode 33 of Lit. My name is Ravi Tour and I'm your host. Today I am coming to you with a couple of rad ladies who are both based out of the US who are bringing students an amazing technology platform that is here to solve some massive problems. I'm going to introduce both Shania and Lauren and they are the co-founders of Envure, which is a technology platform that is used to empower students when they are starting out on their college or early career journeys. It's supposed to give them resources and information that they wouldn't otherwise have an access to. So I'm going to let them go ahead and get into their story. The app itself is from Philly, but both of these ladies work in different parts of the US and it's a pretty cool story. So Shania, Lauren, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Robbie. So can you guys jump right in? Because we have a lot to talk about, but just tell us who you guys are, what you do, and where you're from. So I'm Shania. So I am the co-founder. Um, as Robbie kind of said, I'm based in Philadelphia, studying at Drexel University, finishing up, graduating next week, seven days from now. So I'm very excited woot. about that. Woot, woot. Let's just kind of pause there for a second to give her some big ups on that. The girl's put in her time. She deserves some mad respect for that. <laughs> yeah, that's right, right? Just clapping over here, clapping. All right, keep going. Yeah, so, so graduating next week with my bachelor's, very excited about that. So I'm a first-generation college student, um, and that kind of, in a way, right, like along the process has led me, I think, to why I'm so passionate about what we're doing with Embure, which we'll talk more about later. But, you know, really my background, um, aside from being a student, um, I'm someone who's kind of always been interested in technology and entrepreneurship. I didn't really have a lot of exposure to it um, throughout my childhood. So I kind of really started to dive in and dig deeper when I was about the age of 19, when I was doing my first internship. So during that experience, while it was great, I knew it wasn't necessarily where I was going to see myself for the rest of my life. And so I started to kind of explore um, startups and, you know, look at new companies that were emerging and young founders who were kind of pushing the needle in their own spaces. And then kind of after I finished my internship, I came back on campus and I started actually working with another um, startup that was on campus that was started by other fellow students, started to pick their brains and work with them and see, you know, how much I could learn from what they were already doing. And then kind of shortly after that, Lauren actually approached me with the original kind of 
idea, which has changed in a lot of ways, but the mission of who we're trying to impact is the, is the same. So um, that's kind of when she reached out to me and said, hey, I have this idea. Can you listen to it? Tell me what you think. And that's kind of where we started. That was about two years ago now. So we're, you know, pushing and striving and moving forward. But that's a little bit about me. Yeah, absolutely. That is a cool story that we're going to dissect in different ways today. But before we do that, Lauren, why don't you tell us about yourself? Okay, so I'm Lauren. I'm the other co-founder of Embeer um, alongside Shania. So actually right now I graduated from Drexel in 2018. Shania and I actually started off on the same track. We're both five-year students, but I went ahead and finished up my program in four. So I just didn't do my third internship, but I was pretty ahead in credit. So uh, I just took the opportunity and graduated early. I felt like I had kind of had my college experience and I was ready to spread wings and get out into the world and kind of just step into this world of womanhood and kind of explore what that meant. So right now I'm actually working full-time as an IT consultant for one of the big four accounting firms. And while it's great and it's taught me so much just technologically and it really kind of pulls in what I did in my undergraduate, it's definitely, um, you know, that's not where I want to be for the rest of my life. And so where my passion kind of comes from is my dad is very entrepreneurial um, in his own right. And so though he works full time, he's always kind of been an entrepreneur and, you know, kind of been his own boss and been able to kind of regulate, you know, what he does. And that was just always something coming up that was very attractive to me. Um, And then just not only, you know, being your own boss and kind of setting your own pace and setting your own way, but what that allows you to do for the people around you, just like having that flexibility, having a platform has always been something that's really spoke to me. So just growing up in the type of family that I have, I've always kind of wanted to be that positive force or that positive role model. So everyone coming after me could just see all the possibilities they could be affording their future. And that if I could do it, then of course you can do it too. That kind of inspired me. um, And just like Shania mentioned earlier, and when I first kind of approached her and was like, hey, you know, I have this, this wild idea and like almost like sitting at my internship. So I was an intern at NASA for two cycles. And so I was like sitting at my desk, you know, like doing coding and programming, like that I don't love, by the way. I was like, oh, you know, this is so tedious. This is so taxing. And like in my brain, I'm just like, I just have kind of like this aha moment. And I've always been like, you know, how do you help people? How do you, you know, be a change maker? How do you make the world better? Like, how do we get these kids to see there's so much out there for them? And so one day it just hit me and I'm like, oh my God, I got to call Shania. You know, I'm like, I got to see what my girl is talking about. I'm like, I have this idea. And so I call her and, you know, we kind of talk about it. We think through it. And, and Vera was kind of born there. And like, like she said, it's shifted so much and it's become so much more multifaceted than we originally even thought it could ever be. Um, but I think it just shows the nature of how we've evolved as people, as young women, and just like as our community has shifted and evolved over time, like we definitely kept up with those changes as well. That is extremely brilliant. And I have so much that I want to peel back, but I want to start with two things. First of all, you guys are real fucking young, right? Like you guys are comparative to me. FYI, y'all look like babies and I got my, you know, I got a baby face. So why don't you tell us how old you guys are? No, excuse me. Excuse me. Let me back that up. How young are you guys? (laughs) Um, I'm 22. Okay, so Lauren's 22, Shania, you are? I'm 23. Yeah, see, this is ridiculous. Okay, so now I've got even bigger questions to ask here because you guys are such forward thinkers. So 
Number one, at ages 22 and 23, your guys' big questions that are leading to aha moments are, and Lauren, this one's very specific to you, but I think it's a collective because Shania wouldn't be here today if she wasn't thinking the same way, but how do we become change makers? How do we impact the world? How do we create social impact? How do we do better as human beings for other human beings, for our people? How does that come up for a 22, 23-year-old? And let's get real. This came up for you guys at like 21, 22 if I do math. And let's get real. I'm not fucking good at math. So, you know, correct me if you need to. But how do such young people start thinking about these massive cosmic ideas? And for me, it kind of started earlier. So when I was in high school, actually, it was when I transferred to my second high school in Philadelphia. We would have, you know, these like career days where they would, you know, ask us to think about in a bit more detail and to discuss what we would do professionally. And so it probably had to be around like 11th grade. So I was like 16, 17. Everyone in the room had to go around and say like what they wanted to do. And this was over a lot of time, but I had stood up and I said, oh, I want to run my own nonprofit. And people were like, but why? You're not going to make no money. Nobody. Why would you do that? Like, what are you talking about? And um, that was like an early thought I had in my mind because I just always knew I, I was that type of person that I wanted to be able to give back and be in the position to give back. And I thought the only way to do that was through starting a nonprofit. I didn't understand that you could start a business, make money and do good. So that was not necessarily a thought that was developed yet in my mind, but I knew I wanted to do something positive. And so when I originally came into college, that was the same thought process that I had. And so I was like, well, I don't want to go into corporate America. I want to just, you know, work with nonprofits or with organizations that are already doing great things. I, and in many ways, I view, you know, corporations as being corrupt and as not being, you know, in support of people and, you know, equality and things like that. And I actually had a mentor who she, she actually was someone who re- recommended that I apply to do this summer program at Johnson & Johnson. And that was actually how I led and got started in corporate America. But originally, that wasn't the route that I was going to take. And then kind of through those experiences, through my internships, I started to see how companies can do good. You can make money. You can, you know, create positive change at the same time. And so I think that's kind of how that really started to kind of like stir the pot for me and and think deeper about, okay, well, how can I build a business and a business model that's going to be able to do both and not just one or the other? Yeah, and that's that really speaks to a conscious leader uh, for today, especially the, the the models are changing, and it's not that they're changing, but the the responsible models are starting to become the top layer, right? They're the creme de la creme, basically, of corporate America as we used to see it, and so that hybrid model. I mean, non everybody knows that NGOs are the way to go, but you know you're going to be broke, right? Or you go and work in the social service sector, and you're going to be living on assistance yourself for the rest of your life. But hey rah, rah, let's make social good. It's great. Let's do it. Right. But the reality is that there are hybrid models out there. There can be a corporation at social enterprise, right? You can be a corporation and still look after your shareholders, but be a responsible organization, right? Go into social impact and still make money for the good. And so yours was based in helping people. Lauren, what about you? How did this start for you? So I think for me, mine's is a little different. And I think mine started kind of when I was young. So since I was young, my parents have kind of always said this thing to me, like, 
you know, we want you to do well because we want you to do well for you. You know, when you get grown and when you have a check and when you make your own money, you're not going to afford us to live. You know what I mean? So their, their whole kind of thing was understand the value of money, understand what things cost in life, understand how the world works and understand how you want to live. And then understand how you need to set yourself up to be able to do that. And so I think not only did that lesson teach me how do I want to live, but it also showed me the contrast in how some people live versus how some people don't live and kind of how we get to that. There are some people who, you know, are well off and well to do and, you know, have enough. And then you have other people who are kind of struck with this cyclical poverty that their family never seems to get out of. And so I was, I think, fortunate enough to be able to see both sides in my own family. And so I think growing up kind of with that mindset, it's like, okay, I, I see how we live or I see how some people live, but I also see how the other half lives too. Why is that? And how do we change it? Um, you know, so how do we kind of bring those opportunities to, to those people as well? Because like, what makes us so different? Yeah. Not that much, you know, mm-hmm. what, what we're exposed to, you know what I mean? Our environment, the type of resources that we have, you know, what type of mentorship and guidance and leadership that, you know, has been in front of us. And so how that shapes us as a person and what we go off to do in life. So I think for my perspective, it was just kind of that. And I kind of always had this thing in the back of my mind, like, okay, well, how do we change that? But what do we do? Like, how do we show people that there's a, there's a different way to live out there? And it's, it's not that hard. We just got to get there. For me, that was kind of what it was growing up. And then, you know, going to a high school in Georgetown, D.C., I went to a Catholic high school, but of course, we were surrounded by a lot of the public high schools. So it's like, okay, we have these nice laptops. I mean, like our school uniform was an Ugg shoe and a Sperry. So, I mean, you know, you don't kind of get any any more bougie than that, right? And so I'm a kid going to this school on financial aid. Some of these girls are paying this full, huge tuition, you know, for high school. So, and it was just like, I was blessed to be able to be afforded the opportunity. But then I see kids in DC, you know, taking, you know, the Metro and like walking to school. They don't, their backpacks aren't full of textbooks. Mine is, you know what I mean? They're not walking around with laptops and iPads. I am. They're not wearing Ugg as their uniform shoe, but I am. And so you just kind of see the difference too, like in the school system, like, okay, well, why don't these high schools have textbooks? Why don't you have good teachers? Why don't you have after school programs? Why don't you have free SAT prep so that you can excel, you know, on your standardized tests as well? And so you just see all these differences and you're like, it just seems a little unfair. You know what I mean? And, it, and you really, I think, kind of understand, you know, bringing it back to my parents, that value of money and what it can do for you. And unfortunately, the people who are born into this cyclical poverty or these, you know, they're born into these lower socioeconomic areas to no fault of their own, they just don't have access to it. You know, they just don't. And, and it's to no fault of their own. It's not because they're any less intelligent, you know, because they have any less aptitude than anyone else. It's just they didn't get dealt that hand of cards and it sucks. Yeah. So my whole thing was, how do we even the playing field for everybody? Wow. Um, and that, that's just kind of where it came from. And then, you know, going through college and Drexel and everything like that, you, you see a difference in college. Um, but you're kind of still always there in the back of your mind, like, yeah, but there are still people in high school that they're trying to get to a Drexel. Yeah. How do we get them there? You know, first of all, thank you both for for doing what you guys are doing and for having that awareness, right? Like, obviously yours, Lauren, started super young and Shania, yours was there. It just started to become more developed as you got into grade 11 and then as you developed more as a, as a young woman. That sets you guys apart. But I think your guys' generation is completely different and very aligned with what you guys are talking about. Nobody wants the status quo anymore. People want equality. The three of us women sitting here we might be different in age, in location, in, you know, in stature, whatever that might look like 
physically we're different, right? Racially we're different. But at the end of the day, we're very alike. We're very similar. We're human beings with intent, purpose, goals, right? Drives, all these things. So there's nothing that really sets us, uh, puts us in a different light other than typically things like socioeconomic status. And that truly, you hit the nail on the head, Lauren, when you talk about not being able to get that opportunity or not having that chance. And Enviewer is kind of your guys' solution to that. Now, I know you guys, your brand has taken an evolution. And often what I find is an idea just starts, right, guys? So what I had said, I think it was episode 28 when I was talking to Lauren, we were talking about an idea, right? And if you remember me saying it, I said the idea starts faintly. It's something that just shows up. But there's an evolution period or an evolutionary period once that idea kind of gets stuck in the head. And things change as ideas grow. Now, for these two women, you guys... You guys actually had some pretty cool opportunities. One of you is working at NASA. Other one was working at Johnson & Johnson. And then you moved to like, who's working at Ernest Young now? Like there's somebody. Yeah, that's right. So Lauren's working at Ernest Young. You guys are, I mean, you were working, Shania, in SAP, right? So you had opportunity that could afford you a lifestyle where you didn't have to mess too much with a lot of work, a lot of like sleepless nights, a lot of what you guys are doing. So talk to me about the evolutionary process of your idea in viewer and why you guys have decided to go in viewer versus the NASA route or the Ernest and Young or the Johnson and Johnson or whatever route. You know what I mean? Okay. So I don't know how far back we want to take it with the evolution of Enviewer, but just to give you a brief kind of synopsis of where we started. So like I said, you know, we kind of always had this end goal of helping a student or, you know, a young person being afforded some type of, you know, opportunities or, you know, excelling academically, at least was always kind of at the crux of what we were trying to do. So originally, you know, when I come to Shania with this idea, I'm like, you know, there are so many kids, you know, they're just not excelling at school. And why is that? Is it because, you know, they have, you know, a single mom or, you know, they're being raised by grandma or, you know, nobody's paying attention to the kid or they're not getting, you know, the additional help and time and, you know, attention that they need you know, to do well or to perform. So let's kind of bridge the gap between parents, teachers, and the student, right? So that's kind of where we originate. Like, hmm, it was all about though, how do we help this kid? How do we help them get from point A to B? How do we help them, you know, get into some trade program that's going to help them be successful in life? How do we help them get into a university and set them up for life? So that was kind of always the crux of it. And then, you know, we kind of did some more research and did some digging and found out there were some tools out there that were similar that already existed. And so we're like, okay, well, how do we kind of reshift and refocus and how do we, you know, change this to inc- incorporate more? So then it kind of shifted and we we're like, okay, well, we know that kids need help getting to universities. We know that they need resources. We know that they need some type of exposure. So then we kind of started focusing on, you know, gearing them towards university fit. And then we said, huh, well, another big thing that kids, you know, what we realized an issue was is that once they get to university, they're leaving or they're, you know, there are low retention rates at Um, you know, universities or it's not a good fit or they're changing their major a hundred different times and now they're not graduating on time and, you know, all these sorts of things. So we're like, hmm, well, what's another component of this app where we can, you know, help them really navigate them through the whole entire process? Almost like, you know, that coaching and stuff and that, that guidance that I said is missing in a lot of kids and why they kind of, you know, are on these paths where they're not making the best decisions for them. We're like, well, how do we how do we embody that for them? How do we give that to them in an age where everything is so digital and so tactile and nobody's really 
calling up their guidance counselor and walking into a meeting anymore, you know? And it's like, even though that's something I did in high school, that's something, you know, that some people think or know to do, but some people don't even think to do that. Or maybe they don't have a guidance counselor at their school, or maybe their guidance counselor is just not good. Or it's telling you, because I had a guidance counselor in high school tell me, oh, well, I don't think you'll get into University of Maryland because it's, it's a really hard school to get into. I just need to like, um, take a moment and be like, yo, guidance counselor, hope you're listening to Lit. I hope you're listening right now. I'm on blast. We're going to put you on. Well, hope you're listening. But no, I mean, you make so many great points, right? Just that statement alone. I mean, okay, guys, all you listening right now, how many times has someone told you you can't do it? It's not possible. You're just never going to make it, right? And how many times has that statement played in your head over and over and over from the small decision you make to the big decision you make. And for some of you, how much is that the driver to everything you do? Because for real, fuck you and your stupid statement, right? That's basically it. And so that's what's happening for you, girl. Let's straight up. You guys need to see her face right now. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's really crazy because even just you saying that now just brings me back to when I was working at NASA and I first kind of told Shania about this idea. I remember I was doing programming at the time. And like I said, I didn't love it and I wasn't naturally good at it. But of course, I'm working on a team full of, you know, older, more mature white men who have been coding for and programming for 20 years. So, of course, I'm not going to program at the level that you do. And I remember my manager who I had even built up a pretty good rapport with at the time, you know, I was kind of telling him like, oh, I, you know, I think I want to build an app. Like, you know, I, I don't know exactly what it's going to be. And he was like, oh, well, kind of just basically said, well, you know, I think that you're a great girl to look at. I think you speak really well. And maybe you want to go into sales. He was like, don't knock sales because, you know, whatever, whatever. And I'm just listening. And I'm like, hmm. he's like, and honestly, like, you don't have to like, you know, you kind of have to be like a brainiac to build an app. And like, you don't want to have to do that. And so at the time, because I didn't want to lose my job as an intern for NASA, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take this with a a nice little grain of salt and go vent to my parents outside on the phone and give them the peace of my mind that I wanted to give him at that moment. And so looking back now, like you said, it's just so true. Like so many people will not do off on a tangent, but so many people will try to project onto you what you cannot do, maybe because they're fearful or because they look at you and they don't you know, see the excellence that you see in yourself. And even like these kids, you know, like people are looking at them and telling them they can't, they can't their whole entire life. And so when Vera is here to kind of be that platform to say, yes, you can. Yeah. And big F you to anyone who says that you can't. hundred percent, right? It's just a, it's a common thread. And I, I bet Shania, you've heard statements like this said about you as well in different areas of your life, right? Whether you're building the app or not, you gotta be empathizing with some of this. Yeah, definitely. I think my situation is a little different from Lauren's too, but I think um, similarly, but differently, I have been, I will say that I have been empowered through a lot of my schooling and in the environments that I've been in with having mentors and people who really kind of were interested in coaching me throughout the process. But I think I saw it more on the, on the end of like, for my mom, she was always in an environment where she was constantly like, not respected. You know, she didn't finish college and stuff. So automatically, you know, they just diminished her to some type of smaller being. Right. So I think that was always something I was like aware and conscious of was, okay, I need to make sure I'm three times as good. And so when I came into any space, I really always strove to kind of let that be known. Even when I was at my second internship, 
Like my manager, he never blatantly said anything to me like to that degree, but I could tell that he was overly impressed because he he did not set his expectations that high. So when I was done my co-op, he really championed me because he wasn't even expecting me to do that well or do as well as I had done. And he was like, wow. Like, and now he's my biggest, he's, he was one of my strongest kind of recommenders after the, after that period being, because, you know, I'm not offended by it, but you know, it definitely, it's, it speaks to we're we're not expected to do certain things. And when, and then when we do them there, people are shook, you know, they're, they're not ready for it to happen until it happens, which it will happen. You know, it, it does. And I mean, it's all a mindset. You can choose to let these things tear you down or, you know, depending on your circumstances, you choose to let it build you up. Right. And everybody has been told in one way or another, verbally or non-verbally, that they are not capable, that they are inadequate, right? And it it's, comes in different ways. Um, and it's up to you. I keep telling you every week, it's up to you to decide what you want to do with that. Because, you know, Lauren could have just been the stereotype of what NASA was talking about or what the school system was doing, right? Shania could have been the stereotype of low expectations, right? And each of these individuals totally busted through those barriers, those invisible barriers that nobody really talks about, but they're probably stronger than the visible barriers, busted through those ones and just made it happen. And that's where determination comes in, right? And talking about that, there's another piece to that just completely wrapped into Envir. You guys started with something that was completely, well, it wasn't completely a different idea. There's been some alignment throughout the entire process, but you guys scaled the idea even more at each phase. And so at different opportunities, you guys had, you know, three things you could have done. Number one, give up because someone's got a similar app or no, this doesn't meet all the needs or whatever that is, or to do nothing and then just let it sit there or idle and then eventually we know nothing happens with it or do something about it right and that's what you guys did was you did something about it how can we create something bigger better more accessible how does this serve people and that i think that's what i keep hearing is throughout the entire evolution process you guys kept that student in mind right like how can we make it better for them yeah i think one thing too is like I think a lot of people get stuck on that. Oh, well, I can't go make something because it already exists or somebody out there bigger and better is already doing it. And they, they count themselves out before they even start. Um, and I think what people really need to keep in mind is like, as long as the problem still exists, there still needs to be a solution for it. Absolutely. Whether there are a hundred solutions out there for it, if there's still a problem, then there's still, <laughs> there can be a hundred and one solutions. So but a lot of people, they're built around, oh, well, this company is already doing it. They're leading in this space when they should really be looking to those companies as competition, yes, but also as validity in terms of building their own business model when they go and talk to people about why this needs to happen and how they can take it from a different lens. But really, as long as the problem is still there, which, you know, we could hear a hundred times that, oh, well, I don't know that students are going to like it or, oh, how are you going to get it into schools or, you know, a million and one reasons why it could go wrong. But as long as the problem is still there, it doesn't matter how it could go wrong because we're still going to try and fix it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a really intelligent way of putting it because there are 7 billion people and counting on this planet, y'all. Like 7 billion. And I bet you every second a new one pops out. So just putting that out there. And so there are a lot of 
you know, there's a lot of social issues. I'm not going to go into it deeply, but there are a lot of social issues out there. There are issues that are, you know, plaguing our food system. There are issues that are plaguing our resources. There are issues that are plaguing humanity, you know, students, books, libraries, things of that nature, right? And it's all a thing. I mean, think about it. How many things do you associate with in your life every single day? Okay, so where within that of your life is there a problem? Oh, okay. Go and look at how many people there are or how many organizations that are bringing a solution. That's cool. That doesn't mean that they're the only ones. They're just maybe a pioneer. But they basically, like Shania said, laid the groundwork for you, given you the research, given you the data, it's given you the viability of the product or the solution, right? It's given you that information you can then use. If you're starting something brand new, it is way harder to start something brand new with zero viability, not knowing any data on it, than starting something that's already existing, right? And I'm not talking about copycatting. I'm talking about going and creating something that's yours and making an impact with it. So I think that's like, there's so much to that, but I really want to go back. I know you guys' um, your why is pretty strong, but I, I do have to ask you guys as, as young entrepreneurs and young women, really, just generally, who are just starting off your lives and creating and building for your future, a lot of kids or a lot of young people get caught up in getting the right job so they can make that money. And social media is really pumping out those Ferrari looking ads and the shit that's supposed to make you look good. And I got an issue with social media. So whatever, we're not going to go there too much, but it's all f- a filtered lifestyle, right? Not all of it, but a majority of it. And so why did you guys choose to stick with building out in when you had such, and you, you still do, but you've had some huge opportunities on the table for yourselves. Um, I'll start. So I think for me, I always knew, always, always that at some point I want to work for myself. I want to be an entrepreneur. And when I got to college and I started doing, you know, the internships and everything, because I've been working since I was 16. Um, I always knew, nope, <laughs> this is not it for me. No. You know what I mean? And I was just like, I think that when you're in corporate America, even if you feel, you know, that you're aligned with what you do and the role that you play within a company. Well, I feel a couple of different ways about it. One, I feel like at a company, you're expendable. You're a person, you're a number, you're doing a job. And whether you do that job or not, it's going to get done by someone else. You're not really valued, you know, for who you are and like all of the other gifts that you bring outside of nine to five. What are you doing? You know what I mean? Um, Where I feel like as when you're an entrepreneur and you're doing something that truly is in alignment with your passion and you're really seeking to make some sort of change and that's what's driving you, it's completely different because a company could give up on you at, you know, any moment. You may, you know, have a baby, whatever, get maternity leave and maybe your position's there when you come back. Maybe it isn't. Like I said, you're expendable, but you are your biggest driving factor and you're never going to give up on you. And what you're what you're passionate about. And I think, too, that when you see something like this, like Shania said, no matter how many solutions are out there, if there's still a problem, you still feel that responsibility to be the fixer. And I feel like for me, at least, it's like I still feel like I have responsibility to be a fixer and no position, no role, no matter how much I love it, no matter how much money it brings me in a corporate organization is going to allow me to do that in the same capacity as me being an entrepreneur and pushing this company myself um i think in addition in addition to kind of what she set up like similarly always been into entrepreneurship and you know the idea of working for myself although i i do recognize that it's a lot more glamorized 
Oh, yes. 100%. It is not as pretty as it looks, y'all. Like, it is hard work. Exactly. And the, the thing is, too, everybody wants to work for themselves. Nobody really wants to work for anybody else. But 99% of people don't put the work in um, throughout the process in the beginning, in the middle, or at the end. Um, so I think that's, like, a really important thing to recognize is I think if, if, if many people could be afforded the opportunity to work, in, work for themselves, they could. But people don't want to actually put the work in. Yeah. Um, I think aside from that, um, naturally, like Lauren knows this about me, like naturally I'm, I'm just like a risk taker. I don't find comfort in being comfortable. So I feel like if I was not going to, something was going to push me in this direction along with many other ways, because I, I don't like being in a routine. I don't like doing the same things. Like this is my last summer of college and I decided to learn how to play guitar and take a ballet class totally unrelated just because I wanted to do something new. So I think just naturally, like I think this also kind of stems from how my mom is like, she's never really followed like one path. She's always had like a mind of her own. And so when you do have a mind of your own, it's very hard to be, you know, told what to do. So I think that was going to push me this, this direction sooner rather than later. It just did it a lot sooner for me. And I, I didn't second guess it because I've naturally, you know, been driving towards a space where I could be able to take risks because I just know that's where you're going to get the farthest and make the most progress and be able to do the most when you take those risks. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the cornerstone of entrepreneurship at the end of the day, right? But it's really the cornerstone of of a fulfilling life. And I'm not saying, you know, go risk it all. I'm saying take risk, right? Take calculated risk if you're just a beginner. I, I am not a risk taker. I don't like risk. I do like, I'm a hermit, yo. I like things to be the same every day. I eat the same bagel every day, toasted the same way with the exact same toppings, the exact number of cups of coffee, like things are the same. But with that being said, you got to take risks to grow, right? You got to take risks to evolve. And that's what you two have done in your own unique ways, right? And taking into account your unique talents. And one of the things you guys said earlier during the show was, you don't have to be really good at something. You just got to be willing, right? You don't have to be naturally born. These guys weren't natural. They didn't come popping out with like STEM encoded in their brain and they knew exactly what they were going to do when they grew up, right? Like they were not making code at seven years old. Um, That was not a thing. But today they took the, you know, they took a risk each time to get themselves into a male-dominated area, right? STEM is a male-dominated area. How many women, I know we see more and more today, going into STEM, going into code, going into algorithm, going into building and developing apps, but it's not that easy. It, someone had to take that jump first, right? And it was that first woman, the next woman, the next, and then women like this, right, who go and they put their necks out so that they can do something huge. And so take that risk. Take those adventures to create that change for yourself but also creating good for the world, right? That is the key message that these guys are saying because the more that they create as a social impact, something good, I can hear it. The more you guys are feeling impacted and feeling fulfilled, right? There's a a deep sense of fulfillment and you guys are just in the ideation phase. That's the best part. So I want to talk about, before we go into Envir in its entirety, I want to talk about being young women in, in, in STEM. How is that? Um, like I said, I came from 
So, okay, so to backtrack, when I went to high school, this, you know, bougie high school that I went to, it was all girls, all girls Catholic high school. It was predominantly white, which was different because, you know, there was this whole, I was now the minority, which was very new for me. So there was, you know, that whole kind of thing. But what was really unique in a positive way was that it was all female. And so you kind of felt this empowerment, you know, this cohesion, this collaboration, this camaraderie from the group, because you're like, we're girls and everything's going to get done by us. I mean, if it's tech crew for, you know, the theater, if it's drilling this thing, if it's, you know, everything, it's going to be done by women. And I think that was just a really empowering experience to say, if there's no men around, how long do you think, you know, it's going to get done? It's us. And so that was a really beautiful thing. And then I think, you know, that kind of shifted when you go to college and I actually started Drexel as an engineering major. Um, my freshman and sophomore year, so I was admitted to the College of Engineering. And so that's obviously a male-predominated field still. And just seeing, you know, kind of being in the classroom and, you know, there are girls there, but you notice that the majority of the class is men. Um, and, you know, there's kind of this air to engineers. I don't know if anybody listening knows what I'm talking about, but there's this arrogance almost. You know, there's this kind of... I know. <laughs> I know, for sure. Thou sort of thing. I mean, these are intelligent people. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, very intelligent. But you know, intelligence does not mean that you have good emotional intelligence. But that's another topic. No. <laughs> but um, so that was kind of always hard because you know, kind of like bringing it back to what Shania said about her manager. Like, not necessarily that they treat you different, but they don't have that high expectation. Yeah. Um, and I even I had like a male a male professor at Drexel who uh, my physics professor, and I was I was not naturally gifted in physics. I will admit. But the way in which he told me how bad I was doing was completely inappropriate. And I feel like if I was a male student, you know, it, it would just be completely inappropriate. And, and, you know, those kind of lines would have never been crossed. Um, and so I think going into the professional world and, you know, working at NASA and being in tech, I mean, there were just so many, you know, inappropriate things that were said where men don't even realize that they're doing it. I think sometimes, you know, that they're either counting you out or they're second guessing you or, you know, even just working on the help desk. And I remember talking to someone over the phone and they're like, oh, well, um, is, I'm, I'm looking for the help desk. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, this is the help desk. And they're like, you know, I'm, they're asking me a question. And I'm, you know, telling them the routine answer. And I'm fixing a problem for them. I'm working with them, you know, remote session. And they're like, well, is there anyone else that I can speak to? And I said, it's just me. So you're going to take what I give you right about now. You know what I mean? And it was, and I had told my manager, and she was like, you know, I'm so sorry that they insulted you that way because, you know, anyone else would have told them the same exact thing. But I guess coming from a woman and, you know, me sounding young, of, of, of course, I'm sure they just expected that I'm not going to give them the best or I, you know, I'm not intelligent enough to coach them through process or know what I'm talking about. I'm not good enough in my job, you know, in a tech field to know, to know what I'm talking about. Um, so just kind of seeing that it definitely can be challenging and a little intimidating, but I think that's just where it comes back to, you have to be confident in yourself and in your ability to say, even though you may think this is me, let me, let me show you what I think about me. Yeah. And now change your mindset. So I think, you know, I've definitely had some better experiences and, you know, some kind of some rough experiences, but I I think it all just is a part of growing and really seeing what people are like out there. Cause when you're, in school, you're so protected, you're so sheltered. And then when you step into the real world, you see what, you know, what's really out there. So it gets a little different. And so it gives you an opportunity as well to, to work on that emotional intelligence, right? Like you guys are already self-aware. So that's huge. 
it gives you guys an opportunity to really develop out that muscle, right? Because you're, you're right. Intelligence is one thing, but the emotional intelligence is something completely different. So you guys being challenged this way, I always say challenges are an opportunity. It gives you that opportunity to really develop out those muscles we're not used to using. So a lot there. We're going to move to Envir. And I think I'm going to let Shania open up on this. Tell us about Envir. Tell us the whole scope of what it is. You know, break it down in layman's term. What is it meant to do? Okay, I'll try. I'll try and be simple, as simple as possible. So really, Envira is basically a platform that is designed to help empower students through their kind of college and early career journey. So we're building basically a mobile app that is going to help students make more informed decisions throughout that process. So as Lauren kind of spoke to earlier, right, we, we noticed and recognized a lot of gaps. Um, we pinpointed a few that we thought were right, and then we did more research and data, and we started to kind of see trends and see where this wasn't an, an issue just impacting one type of person, but it was an, an issue impacting all students, um, and that lots of students were feeling nervous and unprepared to, you know, go through that process of applying to college. And I think now that, you know, the, the high school graduation rate in the United States, I think is above 80%. So it's quite high. So students are graduating from high school and many students are deciding to go to college. So it's not about if they're going, it's, it's that they're going. And so it's more so about how can we better prepare them to go through that process? Because, you know, Lauren and I also recognize that where you decide to go to school doesn't just impact you for four years, but it really does impact you for the rest of your life. And so we really want students to be as, you know, informed and prepared to go through that process so that they can, you know, regardless of their environmental or, or familial or financial circumstances, they can be um, afforded the same opportunity to, you know, succeed and excel during that process. Yeah. And you were saying, I think when we were talking the prelim stages, Lauren, like this, this is an opportunity for kids to see, or not kids because they're young adults at this point, but what schools are out there for the things that they're dreaming about, right? The passions that they have, what's out there? Because when you're limited in your resources, you don't know. If nobody's ever gone before you, you don't know. If you don't know where to look, you don't know, right? And so this opens up the doors to so much more than just schools, but also textbooks and things of that nature, correct? Exactly. And so walk us through that and how that kind of how does that not only, obviously, we've broken down some of the benefits, but how does that really impact a student in real life, say, out in the Bronx or whatever it looks like in kind of the rural areas that are not so affluent, right? Like, how, how does that impact them? And what opportunity does that give them? So I think just kind of like, you know, to that level, you know, you think about let's do like a, a use case situation, right? How does that impact this, you know, this kid? So you have this kid, you know, maybe he's growing up in the Bronx or, you know, in a less affluent area. Um, and maybe his school district is underfunded, right? Which typically happens in those neighborhoods, you know, that are less affluent. Um, so let's say maybe he doesn't have a guidance counselor or his guidance counselor is not good or the guidance she's giving is like similar to my own, <laughs> not very helpful and not very positive um, and not really giving or serving any type of good direction. So you have this kid and, you know, with, without a tool like in Vier, he may think his only option is, you know, uh, the community college, you know, closest to him. 
or, you know, mom, dad, nobody's, you know, been to college before him. He doesn't know what a FAFSA is. He may not know what a common app is. He may not know, you know, what prepping for an SAT is. So ultimately, do you think that student is going to get accepted into a top tier university? Nine times out of 10, no. And it's not because, you know, they are not capable of being challenged academically, uh, you know, or not that they're not a, a smart boy or girl, but they just simply, they don't have that access. So I think with something like Enviro, you know, this tool that you can kind of use at your fingertips, it's like, okay, well, what's this, what's this university process? And oh, well, um, well, I know that I'm interested, you know, I'm, I'm good in math and I, I like computers and, you know, I, I do like software. I'm into a bit of programming. Okay, well, let me look up schools, you know, that are in the area of my choosing that, you know, that have these type of programs or that have these type of, you know, curriculums or that have this type of financial assistance, something that my family's going to be able to afford to send me to. Um, let me look up some SAT prep classes that are offered for free in my borough. You know what I mean? Let me try to find some summer enrichment programs that can, you know, put me in direct contact with, you know, these, these uh, recruiters, you know, for these universities or even for like Shania said, she did a program with Johnson Johnson before she even started at Drexel. You know, so she had already kind of built up and established that, those relationships and rapport. So now you have a kid who maybe is from um, a broken home. Maybe he doesn't have both his mom and his dad. Maybe he's being raised by his grandparents or maybe he does have mom and dad, but they're working so much. They can't give him all the guidance and structure he needs. So now he's a little more informed. And when you're informed, you can make much better decisions for yourself. So now you've kind of had this preparation, you know, that you need and you have a plan of attack. So now, you know, you're applying to schools, you know, what common app is, you know, how to fill out your financial aid paperwork. And now you've applied to 10 schools, you know, God willing, you're accepted to all 10 or you're accepted to eight of the 10. You may not have never applied to one school on that list had you not known what you know or had you not been informed. You see what I'm saying? So, and like Shania said, choosing the right college is really setting you up for the rest of your life. Let's say you get a, a certificate from a community college, something like that, and there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not knocking it, but let's say you, you wanted to be an engineer at NASA, just throwing it out there. Well, do you think they're going to look at your resume? Or someone who graduated from a top tier university with those credentials, with those accolades, you know, and then with that university stamp behind their name. Nine times out of 10, and it's sad because then you have really exceptional kids that don't get the same opportunities, but that's just the, you know, the reality of it. So now you have this kid who may not have stood a chance of getting out of the Bronx, and now he's traveling around the world, you know, working for this great company, or, you know, he's you know, studying abroad because he's in university and he's in this program or, you know, now he's landing that dream job post-grad because he was able to get into school in the first place. So just kind of like proving that the impossible for some people is possible for everyone. That's, that's I just love that. I love that. You guys basically are closing the gap between everything. The opportunity gap. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, it's mind blowing what this can do for people. And I just, I haven't been able to unwrap my head around this because it's so powerful and has the ability to create, you know, like I was saying, um, episode 21, Matt, he is also doing something very similar in terms of changing a generation through opportunity, right? And that's exactly what you guys are doing. And so these innovations that keep coming up that impact, you know, a very specific generation and then impacts generations to come that reshapes society in a huge way. What your app does is it breaks down marginalization to some degree, right? Hugely, because you start to give people opportunity who wouldn't have otherwise had 
opportunity. And then you guys give them the next opportunity and they continue to build, right? And so it's massive. It's just massive and it's mind blowing. I love it. So you're welcome. Most you thank you guys. I mean, thank you guys (laughs) from the world to you guys. Thank you. We bow down big time, (laughs) right? And so tell us a little bit more about the process in terms of where you're at now, where you're headed and, and what's up. So we just got accepted into an incubator um, at our university. So it's called the Biota Institute incubator. Um, And so there are basically a portfolio of students started companies that are, that are here. That's where I'm sitting now. Um, And uh, basically they just give us access to kind of a free workspace resources. They do um, workshops, events, things like that. And they really just help to kind of coach us and prepare us to kind of keep pushing the business forward. So that's kind of what, where we're at now. And then in addition to that, we're really just honing in and focusing on um, all everything that lies with technical development. So we built out a good amount of the front end. So um, we kind of know the flow of what it's going to look like now. It's just all back end development. Um, and then Lauren, I'm not going to add anything else to that. Yeah, so just pretty much working through our tech timeline um, and developing and back to programming and coding. Your favorite thing, girl, your favorite thing. (laughs) Find me. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's just meant to be. Um, So I'm just, I'm I'm rolling with it. Um, But just kind of, yeah, just going through all those development milestones. And then, you know, our goal is to launch um, our date right now is the end of September. So like last week of September and to launch for it to be available on all platforms and really get into the hands of some users. So we've also been doing some focus groups and things like that just to get some feedback. That is so sweet. So you guys are going to have the app ready to launch on on physical platforms. So iOS, Android, is that what we're going for? If you all don't have an Android application, I'm going to have a problem with you. <laughs> Big time. Oh, girl, you were going to say it too. And I was like. No, no, I was going to say at least iOS first, but definitely we're bringing, of course, we're bringing it to Android. We're going to bring it to Android. What is up? With, okay, I got to ask you. Sorry, guys, but side note here. But what is up with the Android tech? Why is it always such a pain in the ass? I think it's it's. It's it's not a forgetful thing. It's it's not like one is lesser than the other. It's just like when you have to prioritize, you're like, are we have to get something done? Then you have to make a hard choice. And hopefully they'll both roll out together. That's the plan early. That's cool. That's cool. I'm just pulling your guys' leg. I'll send you hate mail later about that whole situation, okay? But no, I get it. Okay, so September of 2019, that's a pretty cool timeline. And so what good timing. I... I'm freaking excited. So where can people find you if they want to support you a little bit more, give you guys some love? Where do they go? So best thing is to follow our business account. So go to Envira.org. First of all, subscribe to our newsletter. Um, second, we're on Facebook and we're on Instagram. So if you look on face on Facebook, you can literally just search Envira. We have a company profile there. So we post a lot of our updates, milestones, things that we're working on. Um, and then third, we're most active on Instagram. So that's where you can see kind of more of our day-to-day through our stories and, um, you know, events that we'll be at and attending and things we're participating in on our Instagram. So on Instagram, we're at Envure, I-N-V-U-R-E underscore. So Envure underscore. Um, that's the best way really to follow us and kind of stay connected to all that we're doing as a company. I love it. And you guys are doing a lot as a company. As a company, you guys are doing huge things. And I just want to, I just want to commend you to you two are such 
incredibly, incredibly intelligent women. I know you guys have been listening to this, but it's a whole nother ballgame when you're actually sitting in front of these, well, virtually sitting in front of these women, (laughs) right? Let's get real. But virtually sitting in front of these women and you can really pick up how extremely intelligent they are. Not that I doubted it for a second, y'all. So don't put me on that little list that you got, but it's, it's pretty powerful. And to see such young human beings pumping out such massive impact is it just, it's something that, that soothes my soul because this is what it's all about, right? You do not have to be a victim of your circumstances. You can, based on the problems you see, create a solution. That's what I did, right? That's what lit's about. That's what my program is about. That's what my business is about. And these guys, based on their environments, based on the lives that they were seeing around them, same thing, right? It was something that was supposed to act as a tool that ended up becoming even more than just a social impact. It's something that impacts generations for years to come. So I, I encourage you to sit down, take some of those thoughts that you have, some of those in ideas, and really jot them down. What is it you want to do? What is a problem you see? Shania put it perfectly. You see a problem, create a solution, right? So make that solution list and then start tackling it, right? There is no impossible. These two are the true versions of possibility, right? And everybody has that equal opportunity. So go and seize yours, right? Thank you, ladies, for joining us and giving us your great wisdom this week. It was totally rad, actually. Thank you. (laughs) This was a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much. You guys stick around. We're going to have another rad episode next week. But until then, make your impossible a possibility. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lit. I am so grateful to have you as an audience member. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to hit subscribe and leave your review. For more resources, tips, and tools, head over to www.ravitour.co. I'll be back with another episode next week, but until then, stay lit.